Scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 12, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, forgive us the times when we choose to live on bread alone in a land of plenty and force our souls to fast from your word or starve our souls through neglect of setting our eyes and ears on what is your eternal word. We are daily tempted to think of your words as being like our words. But in this moment, we see that they are not. Your words bring turmoil and healing, blessings and threats, actions and knowledge. Your words bring you to us and make us aware that you are the supreme value in the universe. Be patient with us now as we vow to listen. Bless us with eyes and ears that perceive the very truths in your word that will soften our hearts and deepen our love for you. And we pray this with all of our heart, dear Father, in the name of your word that became flesh, who became our bread of life, Jesus. Amen. Last week, we considered the question that was asked by Pharaoh at the beginning of chapter 5 of Exodus and began the series of plagues. The question found in verse 2 is this, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him and let Israel go? 
I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. When Pharaoh said this, it was not uh, necessarily a request for information. It wasn't a, a 411 call. It was more like a declaration of defiance. And at the heart of that question, at the core of the answer to that question, who is the Lord, is the Passover. The ten plagues are known to the Hebrew people as the Eser Ham Makot. The, the ten strikes or the ten blows. There are these, the, the plagues that fall upon Egypt in Exodus beginning in uh, the, the, chapter 5 with the discussion, with the question. But you know how the plagues go. We looked at them last, last week. There's the water that turns to blood. The invasion of frogs. Moses takes the staff of God and strikes the ground, the dust, and gnats or lice come up, numerous like dust. And then there's the swarms of flies that descend on Egypt. But this time, first three plagues kind of fall on Israel too. This fourth one, none of the flies made their way into the land of Goshen, only upon the Egyptians. Then there's the pestilence on animals. After that, there's that ominous of, uh, 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 gesture of, of Moses reaching into an oven or a kiln and getting the soot out of that, that, um, that contraption that is hot and makes fire. And he throws it up into the air, and these burning, blistering boils sprout on not just the animals, but the people. And so painful are these boils that Pharaoh's sorcerers and his magicians cannot even stand in Moses' presence. There's hail and rain and fire and thunder that beat the agriculture into the ground and destroy any animal or any person who had not taken shelter from that hail. And then there's the locusts that come from an east wind. They devour and destroy everything that was not destroyed by the hail. And then a west wind drives them away. And then without a word, without a warning, darkest darkness. A, a darkness so thick that, that it weighed the people down and they did not feel for three days that they could leave their place. And yet light in the land of Goshen. But even after nine plagues, Pharaoh has not relented. Sad. Pharaoh has not relented, and the tenth plague, which has been talked about from the beginning chapters of Exodus, will be the final blow. And in this text that Bill uh, read for us all the way to the end of the chapter, there are at least three things that we see. The first is there's a danger. The second, there is a deliverance. And third, there is a direction. What Scripture tells us is that there was a danger that was coming upon Egypt. In verse 13, God says, the blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. A lot of debate as to what was the nature of what was that destructive plague. We read a little bit further and we discover that the destructive plague is not a what but a who. 
we drop down to verse 23. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and the sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. There is a much more literal translation that was produced by Everett Fox uh, some years ago that reads it this way. Yahweh will proceed to deal blows to Egypt. And when he sees on the lintel and on the two posts, Yahweh will pass over the entrance and will not give the bringer of ruin leave to come into your houses to deal the blow. Just who the destroyer, the dealer of ruin is, is, is not made evident in this text. There is another book in the Old Testament, Psalms, Psalm 78. In those verses in the 40s, there's a a lot of the plagues that are being mentioned, and there is this plague or or this, this band of destroying angels that is described. Some believe that this is a connection to the death of the firstborn. It is a band of destroying angels. But that that same word to to describe the destroyer in Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, also the same word that is used in 2 Samuel chapter 24, when David, at the end of his life, feeling a little arrogant, maybe a little prideful, counts all of his mighty men, and it angers the Lord. And the same Hebrew word used to describe that destroyer in Exodus chapter 12 It's the same word that is used in 2 Samuel 24 to describe the angel that stretches his hand out over the sons of Israel and 70,000 citizens die, drop to the ground, just like that. It is a force to be reckoned with. And God calls it a judgment. The death of the firstborn is defined by God in verse 12, as a judgment. On that night, that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And then he says it again. I am the Lord. Judgments that are found throughout God's word are hard and difficult and tough. For a world of evil, God's judgments are hard stops to that evil. And they portend an even harder and eternal stop of evil in the future. But these judgments are signs that there is one in the universe who sees the injustice and sees the oppression and sees the evil, and he will make a difference. And so God speaks of of one night, there is going to be a geographically limited but comprehensive judgment that will come down upon everyone that has been living in Egypt. Now, as we said last week in the beginning of this message, the first three of the ten plagues fall on Israel too. Fourth plague, there's a separation made between the plague and the people living in the land of Goshen. But this one will be different. At midnight, at midnight, 
Yahweh struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. Verse 29 tells us that it was the firstborn of Pharaoh all the way to the, the, the prisoner in the jail at the lowest level of cells, his firstborn too. But the sons of Israel fall also under this judgment for the same reason that Moses was held accountable at the end of chapter 4 for the murder of the Egyptian 40 years prior. This moment of judgment, it is judgment egalitarianism. It will be equal on Egypt and Israel. Israel will not be able to stand before God on their own either. Um, a poem. Powerful lines, a, a, a powerful poetic line from a hymn written in the 19th century. We don't sing it. It's called Eternal Light, Eternal Light. Thomas Benny writes in one of the stanzas, How shall I whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim, before the ineffable appear and on my naked spirit bear the uncreated beam. How does any human stand before God? Well, there was a deliverance that was offered. The only way to face the destroyer, the bringer of of ruin, on that night was by the blood of a lamb. The, the lamb got the blow. The lamb got the strike so that the son did not have to. Moses and Aaron tell the sons of Israel to take a say, a lamb or a, a, a kid, a young goat, Hebrew a say could mean both, to take that say, one per household, slaughter it twilight, Take some hyssop and make a a brush out of it. Dip it into the basin where the blood has been drained and put it on the sides of your, your, your door frames. Put it on your lintel. And the destroyer will step over your house. He will pass over your home. There's something astonishingly powerful about the blood of the Lamb. In verses 8 through 10, while the destroyer, the bringer of ruin, is making his way through Egypt, there's a feast going on in the homes where the blood of the Lamb has been put on the doors. In, in verse 13, when the destroyer sees that blood, that bringer of ruin sees the blood, he will pass over or step over that home and not, as God says, even touch it. And then in verses 22 through 23, it's the blood of the Lamb on the door that is key to life. But not in the homes of those that did not have the blood. At the end of Exodus 12, Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. It's an unforgettable night. And there were directions for never forgetting that night if you were a child of God, a, child, a son of, of Israel. There are directions that were given for remembering 
In verse 14, God says to Moses and to Aaron, This is a day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. This is a lasting ordinance. God says that Israel will begin their their national calendar and will anchor their identity on this event, the Passover. God says for the first time that now Israel is a community. He has already referred to them as his son. Now he is referring to them as a community in verse 3, which means that in this event, there is going to be a celebration that everyone is to participate in. Imagine the magnitude of that. Every single person in that nation celebrating, participating, fully vested in this, this, this event. We have nothing like this in the United States. Not everybody celebrates Christmas. Not everybody celebrates the 4th of July. Not everybody celebrates Easter. But if you are a son of Israel, you participate in the Passover. Everyone celebrates. Verse 47, the whole community of Israel must celebrate it to remember what it is that God did on their behalf to bring them out of slavery and to fulfill the promise of bringing them to a land. In verse 3, the tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family and one for each household. I mean, you participate in this regardless of how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter if you're poor. If you're poor, you can't afford it. Then you combine the households. The point is everyone is to participate in this meal. Not only that, a lamb. A lamb. A year-old male. Selected out of the flocks. Verse 6, it's slaughtered at twilight. Verse 46, none of the bones are broken. This is to, a, a meal that is to be eaten in haste as a reminder of the great power that came to bear on that night that allowed the gates of Egypt to open up and, and the trek and the pilgrimage and the journey to the promised land began. It didn't take months and days. Get ready now because God's power is coming to bear in such a way that there will be haste in departure. It's to be eaten completely. None of it left over. If something's left over, you you burn it up. It's eaten with the matzah, Hebrew word for unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs as a reminder of the bitter experience of life in Egypt. And you just don't eat it with your most casual clothes. You, you eat it with your traveling clothes, your staff in your hand, your cloak is tucked into your belt, sandals on your feet. And not only is it a feast and a meal that reminds people of what it is that God has done on their behalf, but it is a sacrifice, a moment of worship to the God who has this kind of power. And it was done year after year after year after year. Became a part of, of, of Israel's identity. One of the three great feasts that Moses 
we'll, we'll talk about later on in Deuteronomy as that second generation of Hebrews are getting ready to go into the land. But it was a reminder for the centuries upon centuries upon centuries of God's great power, of His great mercy, of His, of his great compassion, His great might that He brought to bear on Egypt in order to bring His people out of their bitter enslavement. But it didn't take them out of their worst enslavement. One day, there is this crazy-looking, long-haired prophet who wears camel clothes, has a sort of this West Coast diet of locusts and honey. Standing out on the streets, and he sees the Messiah walking by. Elbows his disciples. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And not too many Passovers down the road. This Messiah, Jesus, with his disciples, he's coming to his cross. The cross is nigh in his life. He'll eat the Passover for the last time with his disciples. And like every Passover they had ever experienced, a presider would stand up. He stands and he takes one of the four cups of wine. We don't know which one. He says, this wine represents my blood. Shed for the forgiveness of sins. And then they take that matzah. And as he's distributing it, he says, this is my body that is given for you. No Passover lamb is mentioned. It may have been there. But it's not mentioned. And the reason is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he, the Messiah, becomes our Passover lamb. And what happens to him after that meal through the streets of Jerusalem, to the house of Caiaphas, to the fortress Antonia, to the praetorium. The, the only way to describe it, I think, is that he was slaughtered, beat to a pulp, beat into the ground, mocked, spat upon, lied about, bleeding, exhausted, Nailed to the cross, Matthew chapter 27, he dies, and evening is coming, twilight. John 19 tells us that, that they were going to go and break his bones, but they noticed that he was already dead. None of his bones were broken. He dies, and he's buried, and he's resurrected. And the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus become the greatest sign and wonder that we have ever known. All of those plagues were called signs and wonders. We talked about that, but this is sign and wonder. The Passover was commemorated in a meal, bread and wine. And Jesus and His apostles instructed us that the Lord's death, 
The sign and the wonder of the death and the burial and the resurrection commemorated in a meal. When you hold the bread and you hold that cup in your hand, it's a sign and a wonder. A sign of what God is doing in His creation. And not just creation in a general sense, but creation in the individual sense. It's what He's doing in my life, what He's doing in your life, and what He's doing in everybody's life. And when you think that it was not the nails or the Roman soldiers that kept Him on the cross, but it was love that He endured the cross, then it becomes a wonder. Astonishment. And somebody like me and somebody like you and all the things that we are capable of being guilty of and are guilty of, that somebody could love us like that in order for us to have this life that is able to come out under judgment and not take the blow in judgment because the Lamb of God took the blow. Forty years ago, um, one of the commentators that I'm reading on Exodus was in the United States from his native Scotland. And he was asked as an Old Testament scholar, what is the connection? Can you please tell us the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament? And Alec Mateer kind of him and hauled around for a little bit, they say. But then he said this. He said, why don't you try to imagine if you were a son of Israel coming out of Egypt on that day, what you would say? And Matir said it would probably, their witness to that event would sound something like this. We were in a foreign land, in bondage, under the sentence of death, but our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, came to us with promise of deliverance. We trusted in the promises of God, took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, and He led us out from under it. Now we are on the way to our promised land. We are not there yet, but we have His Word to guide us. And through the blood sacrifice, we also have His presence in our midst. So He will stay with us until we get to our true country, our everlasting home. End of quote. We always uh, offer an invitation at the end of the message to give you an opportunity to respond to the Word of God. Uh, this is no different. If there are ways that our church can minister to you, whatever they might be, we'll have shepherds down here at the front. But what we'd like to do this morning is for you to stand where you are right now. Let's stand. And we're going to sing the song, How Deep the Father's Love. Let's take just a minute in silence to reflect on our own exodus, out from under sin, we don't take the hit, we don't take the strike, we don't take the blow, because the Lamb of God took the blow. Let's spend a moment in silence, and then we'll sing.